everyone, and welcome to the Forecast Fest. I'm Kate Baldwin, here with my colleagues, the Avlon. Hola. And the Enton. Shalom. What? My homies. Uh, it doesn't work when you say shalom, no, my homies. Yeah, shalom, my homies. There you go. Viewer, listeners were not happy until just then. History is being made this week, you guys. The House of Representatives beginning the first public hearings in the impeachment inquiry into the president of the United States. Only the fourth time in U.S. history such a move has been launched. How might the proceedings influence voters? We will discuss. We are also one week away from the next Democratic presidential primary debate, and the field, which had been shrinking, may instead be gaining another candidate or two. Getting larger. That was just, no. Was that like a Frankenstein reference? No, that's a reference to uh, Airplane. Wow. Okay. Weekend to-dos. Yeah. Watching Airplane again. Let's continue, though. Okay, so instead of the field getting smaller, it may actually be gaining another candidate or two. As you heard on this podcast last week, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg filed the necessary paperwork to put his name on the Democratic primary ballot in Alabama. On Tuesday, he traveled to Little Rock, Arkansas, to file for the primary there. The clearest signs yet that Bloomberg is really serious this time and really seriously considering getting into the race. I'm told from folks close to him that it is within days Hmm. the decision will be made. What are his chances? And even short of that, what does a late entry into the race mean for the rest of the Democratic field? We are going to take a look. And finally, a new Iowa poll of likely caucus goers puts South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg squarely in the top tier of candidates and a closer look on his status and the shifts taking place in the race um, for Iowa. First, Harry. Yes, The ma'am. latest forecast. What are the numbers telling you this week? So we're just going to do a quick power rankings update. Crystalis and I put these together, of course. And here we shall go. Number 10, uh, Tom Steyer. He is down one. Number nine, making his first appearance on this list in a long period of time. I believe he was once a bonus. He was once in the bonus as Michael Bloomberg at number nine. Oh, Bloomberg in the power rank. Ahead of Tom Steyer. So you're saying he has a chance. (laughs) No. Uh, Number eight is Cory Booker. He's down two spots. Number seven, Andrew Yang. He's up a spot. Kamala Harris is down a spot. She's to number six. Up two spots is the senior senator from the great state of Minnesota, Amy Klobuchar. Number four, Bernie Sanders holding. Number three, Pete Buttigieg. Number one, we have a tie this week between Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. and Elizabeth Warren at number one tied there. So basically, I think what you see there is some movement upwards for Klobuchar, a little movement upwards for Biden and some downward uh, movement for both Kamala Harris so and Cory Booker. is this evidence of Klobuchar momentum? I, 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 stretching. You're stretching. You're, <laughs> I'm just so excited to see it's that. It's so good. Though. So good, Klobuchar. You have one good idea over the last two months, and you decided that you just couldn't have that one idea. You had to bring it out for it's a lot of other. you double down. When you it's get called, a laugh, you that's double right. down. I, I, look, I, I, I think what we see here with Klobuchar, which is rather important, is that she is, if anything, moving up in the national polls a little bit. She is moving up a little bit in Iowa. She is qualified for the December debate. And more than that, I think that we've seen that Harris has fallen back considerably. Mm -hmm. And Booker, I don't believe, has had a single qualifying poll yet for the December debate. And so you're you're basically in a situation where you got to recognize that the field is what it is. And essentially after the top four, you have to fill out the rest of your list. And Klobuchar seems like as good of a bet as any. In fact, I believe um, Patrick Murray over at Monmouth University poll 
said that if there's one person who'd be watching in Iowa, it would be Klobuchar, who's not on everyone's radar. And I, I, I think I agree with that. So one other thing I want to point out, four ex-mayors on this list in the top 10. You have a single freaking governor. I, but you've got Mike Can, Bloomberg in the race. You've got former mayor of Newark, Cory Booker. Uh, the outgoing mayor of South Bend, Pete Buttigieg, and uh, former uh, mayor uh, Bernie Sanders of Burlington. Um, it's just that's that's really unusual and kind of fascinating, considering that mayors have never been anywhere near the presidency historically. It's not even. It's not just fascinating. It's just weird. It's weird. It's the changeover from being an executive of a state, being a governor, was always seen, long seen, as farm team for. Running, mm-hmm. running the country. It is so strange how it's changed. I, I mean, the, I w- we can, we can, you can give that to Donald Trump to be honest, because he completely broke the mold on what what ca- what can be yeah. the resume that you have going into the White House. So once he broke the mold with any political experience, then you know Andrew Yang says, "Hey, I'm in." Yeah, and follow that. And mayor's like, "Well, I don't, I don't have to be governor first. I would also prescribe it to the fact that Democrats have been struggling to gain state houses. Uh, at least during the Obama era, so you don't have that sort of farm team yeah. that you might necessarily have had in prior years. I think that's certainly well, part and of And the governor in the race, Steve Bullock, I mean, registering zero. Where is he in okay, Iowa? He's not even registering. Crazy. I know. I He's, know. Look, I mean, if we were doing – you would say, give me a red state governor who won in a state Trump won considerably, been reelected really good on all the issues Democrats care about, and has the endorsement of Iowa's longest-serving statewide official. Steve Bullock, and he can't get arrested. It is crazy. You've got all these other folks getting in the race to fill a niche that he should fill, and Cory Booker still getting no traction, and it's just mystifying. I'll end by just saying this. Bullock got in the race very, very late because he wanted to stay in Montana. Well, that's all relative now. Right. Now that's all relative, but— if you look back over time, the people who tend to you win really nominations. think that's it? He wanted to get a state budget passed. I, right. That's I, I what think, I'm saying. I think no, that's I'm, a lot of it. I, you really do? I do. I do. Oh, I think he got it too late. Uh, but I, 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 if you look back over time, what you see is the people who tend to win nominations tend to get in towards the earlier part of the field or certainly earlier in the year before. And that was the case, you know, when George McGovern did it, then Jimmy Carter got in early. Reagan was one of the later ones, but he obviously already had the huge name recognition. But that started a wave of people getting in early. And then all of a sudden that seemed to have stopped and people think that they can get in late. But the fact is that voters say they're satisfied with the field. And they said that early on. Last week, we touched on the New York Times-Siena College poll that looked at the head-to-head matchups between the top Democratic candidates and President Trump in those six key swing states, six states that helped Trump win in 2016. And the matchup showed that the president is still highly competitive in those states. Said another way, there is weakness among the top tier in the matchups when it comes to those key states. There's good speculation that this poll, this New York Times-Siena poll, may have been a factor in Michael Bloomberg's decision to make these new moves to get into the race. One of Bloomberg's top advisors tweeted out the poll and some commentary about it um, just days ago. So and he doesn't, you know, every every move that Kevin Cheeky's making right now has to do with their decision on what's actually going to happen in terms of Bloomberg getting in or not. So you talked about 
John on the podcast about the Biden backup. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of your wonderful coin thank phrases. You, thank you. And who that may be, does Bloomberg fit that bill? That's absolutely his intention. I mean, Bloomberg had not gotten in like a lot of other centrists from Mitch Landrau to Terry McAuliffe because they felt that uh, that Biden was just too strong. He had too commanding a lead. Mm-hmm. The polling that Biden's team was showing, everybody said, you know, there's just not room here. He's got this. And now you see that Biden has been remarkably resilient in the polls, but there still is a lot of concern that there's ample room to screw this up. Whether it's his age starting to creep through, they recognize his polling is strong, but a lot of folks, and Bloomberg has said this, sort of see this election as an existential issue for the United States. And they're very concerned that there's no one obvious in the Biden backup slot. As Elizabeth Warren has been rising in the polls, uh, I think a lot of folks have been saying, oh, if things go that direction, not only are we going to lose, but there's going to be massive room in the center. So Bloomberg, in a YOLO moment with literally unlimited amounts of clash, $52 billion, says, why not? Why not keep the door open? He's been wanting to do it forever. Right. Kevin Sheeky and Coben wanting him to do it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's willing to spend an ungodly amount of money to see if he can be a success. And I think Tom Steyer's ability to get on the debate stage probably opened the door a little bit, too. That's a, that is a good point. What, what, what in the poll do you think they're grabbing onto? Uh, first off, you know, John says, why not? I said, why not he spend all that money and buy everyone some Popeye's chicken sandwiches? That might be a better You and your use. emotional no. support chicken. I, lo- I mean, no. But, but I, I, look, I think— There was a story that a, a, a worker at a mm-hmm. Popeye's chicken made a chicken sandwich on the top of a garbage can. That garbage can was clean. I will point I'm that out. I'm just going to say that to you. Uh, he, he, Mike, <laughs> and let that be a lesson to you. let it sit there and consider it. Mike Bloomberg— <laughs> So wants to beat Donald Trump. He looks at those New York Times Siena College polls and says, I'm not sure any of these candidates really for sure can beat Trump. And I'm very worried about Elizabeth Warren, who the New York Times Siena College poll actually has losing to Trump overall in those six battleground Mm -hmm. states that were the closest. So that's clearly part of it. But there is a big thing. A, a big jump to say, okay, then I can be more competitive than these folks can, Mm -hmm. which I'm not sure there's a lot of evidence for, at least at this point. And B, you have to actually get through the primary to get to the general election. And there's no sign really at all that he can do that at this point. Well, look, this is why he didn't get in when he looked at it earlier on. He looked at the Democratic primary and he said, look, the party's moving left. This is going to be brutal. It's not a good fit for me, uh, a, a billionaire from Manhattan, and, and, and with the party moving left and Donald Trump being being the bet nar. That said, with 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 those polling, I mean, as we've talked about a lot of times, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are weak head to head against Donald Trump. In Warren more than Sanders, but yeah, go on. And 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 Joe Biden has not solidified the Mm -hmm. field. He hasn't created a lot of confidence among sort of the center lane in the Democratic Party. And nobody has any idea, nobody, what a billion dollars in a primary does. Nobody. Only a billion? In a primary, I, I think he you know, could. He could. How about three billion? I, I think his team has has indicated that you know that's that's the level they're going to be talking. About. I, but I, I think you have to. Which, write by it. the way, may not matter. I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton outspent Donald Trump, and it didn't matter. So right, right. I, I just think the hole right now is so deep. Now, no one's saying that he can't improve upon the fact, improve upon his numbers. It's almost difficult for them to get any worse. In Iowa, for example, the Monmouth poll we'll be discussing later. Uh, he had a negative. 31 point net favorability rating in Iowa. So that's favorable minus unfavorable minus 31 points among likely Democratic caucus goers. That's not very good. Um, But I would say I don't think that a couple (laughs) things. I don't think the the Bloomberg people were expecting 
even when he, you know, in this moment when he hasn't even announced that he's actually getting in, that they were going to see some jump no, in I, that. Well, and they also are not banking on Iowa. This is true. This is true. They are not banking on Iowa. What I should also point out is there's been some national polling that's been done. Morning Consult has done some polling, and he had the highest unfavorable rating in the field of any of the Democrats before he gets into the race. Now, that's not saying So that, he's a perfect match for Donald he's, Trump. He's a perfect match for Donald Trump. That's not to say that the money can't move the numbers, but it is indicative of the fact that he starts out in a hole, and he's simply put, at this point, a lot more disliked than any of the other Democrats running. And part of that might be his I record. I don't know what that's based on in, in actuality. I mean, he had a very successful record as, right. as mayor. He, has he been wasn't the, a Democrat he as was, mayor. Uh, well, he was for part of the time. I He was a Democrat, then he ran as a Republican and became right, an independent. As mayor. As uh, mayor. Yeah, and he officially switched it's back to Democrat. It's called Goldilocks again. Wait, we have well, to talk about— He's a centrist. About... He's an independent. But my point is, also, he has been the biggest funder of liberals' top causes of anyone, from guns and the environment. No one's put more money into it than Donald Trump, uh, than, than Michael Bloomberg. Excuse me. I get my billionaires confused, apparently. <laughs> the point is, is that, that really you know, for all the anger on the left doesn't really line up with the good he's done to support the causes that folks on the far left care about. I, I, only, I almost wonder if it— I don't know why. Maybe not. Whatever. I'm questioning my own sanity right now. But does <laughs> is the anger about the Super Tuesday strategy, which is all of the talk is that if he would be getting in the race, they, he would be getting in the race so late that they will be there. They know they can't make ground in mm-hmm. Iowa, New Hampshire or even two other early states. Yeah. And so they're basically banking on kicking this off on Super Tuesday. Yeah. So. A few things there. Uh, one is there are some real questions within the Twitter ati about who actually skipped the early states and then jumped ahead to Super Tuesday. Obviously, you could make the argument Giuliani did in 08. Yeah, that worked out did, great. By right. The way. But he did and he didn't even get to Super Tuesday. In fact, he fell flat on Fl- Florida, which was before it. Um, although Giuliani did campaign in Iowa, New Hampshire, and then decided to skip. There's some thoughts about John Glenn in 84 who said that he wished he had spent more time. In I don't think there state. are any thoughts about John Glenn's 84 campaign. Yeah, I was but like, I just fell asleep. The, the number one person, though, that comes to my mind is actually Al Gore in 88 who was going for Super Tuesday because it was a Southern Super Tuesday and he was going to be the senator from the South. Did that strategy work? No, it did not did, work. Did he, in I, fact, secure? I, I had a brain scratch when I started thinking what? about us talking about this. And there is – this is like a little counter. But do you guys remember in 2007, the Hillary Clinton campaign memo was leaked. And the leaked memo was a top campaign aide making the case that they skip Iowa. Remember this? Yeah. That they skip Iowa, and here was the case that they that Whoa, he laid out. Thirteen of the last. This is part of this is um, part of the memo. Thirteen of the last fourteen major party nominees have won Iowa, New Hampshire, or both. But I think this old system is about to collapse, and it will happen this year because of the impact of primary elections that are being held on February fifth. Was the super duper Tuesday, yeah, if crazy. you remember from 08. I remember. In effect, the Democratic Party is holding a national primary with over twenty states choosing a nominee on February fifth. This new focus forces us to rethink our overall strategy and assess where our time and money are best spent. After the memo leaked, she had to double down on Iowa. And because even if how seriously and she ended up placing third in Iowa, Iowa being the launching pad for the momentum for Barack Obama. This when campaigns recently have made changes based on the calendar, they have reaped the whirlwind. And and I do know, you know, the Hillary Clinton's camp and, and a lot of the folks in the extended Clinton universe have a lot of frustration about 
Iowa and New Hampshire and the amount of time and money. And there was a move to go to a regional, a rotating regional primary with other folks like Julian Castro have called for. And I think there's actually some some merit to that. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, that that sure didn't work out. Also, Rudy's Florida strategy. Also, Rudy's. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe if she maybe if that memo had not leaked. But yeah, and before and we maybe go, maybe they did do that. Maybe, maybe 2008 maybe. would have turned out. We just do one, one, one last thing before we go, what? which is Deval Patrick. De- yeah, what's about Deval Patrick? This I think it speaks to the fact that there is this need for a Biden backup. That people yeah, are no, even it though is, he's it is resili- like a second vote of no confidence for Joe it, Biden. It really right? is. Even though he's been rising in the polls again, and it's unclear that any of these folks, you know, can do as well with a lot of his core constituencies. You know, Deval Patrick, someone who a lot of people in Obama world have been encouraging to run. Mr. David ben. Axelrod was his first, you know, campaign manager in the 2006 campaign and actually borrowed a lot of the themes for Obama's campaign. The fact that Deval's getting recruited again, I think, I think says a lot about the underlying nervousness about Joe Biden in a general. Oh, stand by to stand by, friends. OK, we need to take a break. But when we come back, Pete Buttigieg is creating some shockwaves in Iowa, peaking at just the right time or too soon. And we'll look at how this week's public impeachment hearings will impact everything, including 2020. That's up next. Buttigieg momentum. I think it should be Buttigieg momentum. It's Buttigieg momentum. I think it should Pete be momentum. Boot no boring. Buttigieg momentum. They're <laughs> just adding a is upon, for no yes, reason. Exactly is upon us. Regardless, in a new Monmouth University poll released on Tuesday, Mayor Buttigieg has taken the lead for the first time in Iowa. Among likely caucus goers, he is up 14 points since August. He also continues to lead in favorability with 73 percent having a favorable opinion of him. So he is solidly in the top tier now. Harry, what is it about this Buddha What story do the numbers tell? So I think that there are a few interesting things going on here. Number one, this is a story of a candidate who has formed his own coalition in a way that kind of cuts across lines that we haven't seen so far. He is doing, he does best amongst those with a college degree. That's traditionally Elizabeth Warren's lane. He's also starting to rise a little bit in that moderate to conservative lane, which has traditionally been Biden's bread and butter. So we see him cutting into both of those lanes. Um, And you see that, in fact, the Quinnipiac University poll out of New Hampshire, where Buttigieg is also up um, in the double digits there when asked the candidates or the voters who say that he's their first choice, they ask who is their second choice. And basically we see a split, a dead even split between Biden and Warren. But it's also, I think, a story of the fact that Warren has started to take on some weight following the attacks on her, specifically on Medicare for All. If you look at the net favorability ratings, you see that her net favorability ratings are down since either August in the Monmouth poll or in September when we had our Des Moines Register poll um, with CNN, while Buttigieg has either risen slightly or held. And so what you're seeing is voters saying, you know what, warm was the flavor of last month. Buttigieg is a flavor of this month, and I think the question is, can he maintain his flavor through the caucuses? It is a crazy situation given that, A, normally a 37-year-old mayor of South Bend, Indiana would have no business being anywhere near the top tier of presidential candidates. That said, I think it speaks a lot to 
uh, the overall weakness of this field and the strength of his message, right? It's not just his bio, mm-hmm. um, you know, military vet, Harvard, you know, but, you know, first openly gay I think candidate. We just, I think we just decided that bios don't matter anymore, right? right. Resumes don't matter. But, but I think it's his message, which is an essentially sort of Midwestern, forward-looking, uh, moderate message to the extent that he's not playing to the extreme left of the party. And that's comforting to a lot of folks in places like Iowa. Um, we know his problems with when it comes to diversity. We know his problems in states like South Carolina and Nevada. But it is a big Nevada. Nevada. Oh but my it is, God. I, yeah, apparently I've got a block so on that. So proud of you. Thank you. Not but, really. Um, but it is stunning to see really on the basis just of his ability to message and speak uh, to see this 37-year-old mayor of South Bend, Indiana, on the top of the Iowa polls in November before an election. Okay, so but what does he do with the momentum? As Harry, as you were saying, Harry, he's he's the flavor of this month, but that's still months shy of when you want to be the flavor of the <laughs> exactly. flavor of the month. Is it? I mean, is there an argument that it is peaking too soon? Oh, or is I that think, just? I don't know. Is it? Oh, I think there's definitely an argument because now the it's one thing to be able to go on the offense when the other team pulls its goalie. It's another thing to be able to go on the offense when all of a sudden your cornerback or your safety, excuse me, is Ronnie Lott. Ronnie Lott, by the way, was a great 49er back in the 80s. Uh, you were mixing sports, though. Yes. It, you know what? I, I like mixing my sports. Uh, and the, is pull the goalie only in hockey? Or do you, you pull? can do it in soccer. I can't comment on that. You can do it in soccer. You don't do it in football. There's no goalie in football. But my point is— I mean, not the football that I. I'm care from Indiana. About. Do not offend me. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think that now Buttigieg has risen in the polls sufficiently enough that there are going to be attacks on him from his fellow candidates in a way that he hasn't seen so far, and we've seen what happens when that occurs with Elizabeth Warren. She had the best net favorability rating in the field in Iowa, and then all of a sudden. Other candidates start to realize that, and they went on the attack against her, and her popularity okay. began to shrink. So I think that's the real question. Can, in fact, he take a punch? We will see. But there, but it's still only, what, 28 percent say that they've definitely decided in terms of yeah. in Iowa? I mean, I, I, with that, I'm starting to wonder, and this is like— Kate's lack of knowledge of polling, 101. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if people in Iowa yeah. are more decided than they're letting on. Like, this is an Iowa thing. Like, I'm not decided mm. until until the day of the caucus. <laughs> because I feel like the trend is more Pete and Elizabeth Warren are up, Biden is holding-ish, and Sanders is falling. Like, if you're looking at the trend, I don't see, like, a bunch of jumping around, meaning I haven't decided. So, you know, today I'm for Cory Booker. Tomorrow I'm for Kamala Harris. So I, that's me. So here's—I think there are a few things going on. Number one, I, I think it's very clear that Buttigieg is up in Iowa. I think Sanders is probably about holding in Iowa. I do think that there has been some coming back to the pack for Elizabeth Warren, who perhaps was in the mid-20s. Uh, 22, 23 percent. Now you take an average of polls, she's closer to 19, 20 percent. So she's come back a little bit. Her favorable ratings have shrunk a little bit. Um, but in terms of the question of um, how undecided are these people who truly say that they're undecided with just 28 percent saying they're firmly decided, there's another 16 percent who say they're open, but there's essentially a high possibility. Because it's a caucus. So caucus goers are by definition open. Because that's what happens. Well, they have to have second choices. They have to have second choices, but I don't think okay, that that many people. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think in some ways New Hampshire is a more a more stable representation of itself. How important? But, okay, go on, whatever you want. Yeah, to but talk it, about. Look, I mean, you know, the independents are going to be an impact, uh, you know, a, a factor. Stop in New Hampshire. reading my mind. But um, but I do think it's because it's not a particularly uh, strong field, and it is we're all in the margin of error, and it's still crazy to see Buttigieg at the top of of, of the Monmouth poll. And in in New Hampshire, you know, I, it's really bizarre because what you're seeing is independent voters are not gravitating to any one candidate in particular. Okay, let's switch gears right now if we could, unless you're rustling your papers. No, I, w- I was just going to say... Impatiently with us. I, I, exactly. I, I, I was essentially going to say that in New Hampshire, if you look at the polling, less than 50% of the voters there say they are definitely going to vote for the candidate they're currently on. And I would just say that, look, I take those numbers sort of with a grain of salt. Most of the people who say they're going to vote for a candidate, at least one of those top tier candidates, are going to end up voting for them most likely. But the fact that the number of people who say that they're definitely going to vote for the candidate is so low gives you an understanding, as does historical context, that things will be in flux and the polling now won't necessarily be the polling come caucus night or um, election day in New Hampshire. So stand by to stand by. Switching gears right now because it is the top political story of the week. Public televised hearings in the impeachment inquiry have begun. George Kent, a deputy assistant secretary of state, Bill Taylor, the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, testified on Wednesday. Then on Friday, Marie Ivanovich, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, testifying. Behind closed doors, they have already laid out a case of security assistance to Ukraine had been frozen and was contingent on launching investigations into the Bidens and the conspiracy theory about Clinton's email server and the 2016 election. What they are, they are now laying that out in public versus 400 pages of transcripts for each behind-closed-door deposition. And this all adds up to the question that will eventually face Congress. Did Trump abuse his power, try to extort a foreign country to interfere and help him win re-election, utilizing aid that is not his, rather money appropriated by Congress? And even if that is the case, is that impeachable? That last question is largely going to depend on public opinion. So, Harry, before before the public hearings— Where was the country on impeachment? Yeah. So before the hearings, essentially what you had was a country that was in favor of the impeachment inquiry, a a majority, depending exactly how you average the polls, about 50, 51, 52 percent said that they favored the impeachment inquiry versus about 43, 44 percent who said that they didn't. But on the impeach and remove question, which is ultimately where we're heading, right, we see much closer to a dead even split. And an average of polls, 47 percent say they are for impeach and remove, 44 percent say they're against it. But of course, in the all important swing states, which a lot of these Democratic presidential contenders are looking at, the numbers are essentially flipped. We have a majority greater than 50 percent according to those New York Times Siena polls who say they're against impeaching remove. And I guess the question ultimately is, will these hearings actually help move the needle? Because if they don't, I have a difficult time believing that nothing's going to change. There, something change. has to change. It. Something, something has, to, has change. to change where it is. Well, <clears throat> not just time. But 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 what we've seen in the polling on this actually is a dramatic change in October. Take a look over the last year and change. Their impeachment was not popular. All during the Mueller, oh, during Russia, dur- dur- during, Russia during the Russian investigation, the Mueller investigation, uh, before it came out, after it came out, people weren't sold that that this was impeachable. That changes in October. You look at the average of the polling, and it flips, and it flips abruptly. The facts change. With a whole new scandal that was apparently more comprehensible for people. And it was also, I think, the fact that the president doubled down on getting a foreign power to interfere in an election on his behalf the day after Mueller testified. That said, 
That flips. Is it still within a margin of error? Yes, but it's pretty striking. It's not the 15-point spread you saw under Nixon, but neither is it what we saw under Clinton, which was a majority never supported his his, Mm -hmm. his, uh, impeachment. And still the Republicans went ahead. And the fact pattern is clear and consistent and bad, which is why the Republican response to date is basically just denial. So this, though, gets to something I've been wondering for a while. And I'm kind of thinking of it as a chicken or the egg question Hmm. of impeachment. What what needs to come first? Elected officials taking in the information, making a decision and explaining the decision then to their constituents on is this impeachable or not? Or do they wait to see public opinion? Does it stick or change? And then they base their vote on that. Do they represent or do they lead when it comes to the question? Let's see. Do we think that members of Congress are going to lead? Do we have evidence of moral courage on a regular? No. It's going to be number two, Kate. It's going to be number two, which is why the polling matters, but it's also why the facts matter. No, which is why the polling is everything. Everything. It really is. I think that that true—and there's going to be a lag time. And there's going to be hearings. People are going to come out, and there's going to be a poll that's going to come out right after after public hearings happen, and it's going to say whatever it's going to say. And I will argue, because you know I— I know very little about polling. I will argue that there is I just know human nature. There is a lag time. People are not going to people are yes. not going to sit and listen to 7 hours of testimony just like they're not going to sit and read 7 hours of transcripts. It's going to take time for them to folks to listen, digest it and make a decision. They might land in the same place that they were for or against it. Um, but I think there's going to be a lag time, and I think polling, the polling is going to be everything. So I think that there are two things going on here. Number one, you know, if you compare it back to Nixon in 74 with those open impeachment hearings, that was the only game in town. It was must-see TV. There was only network, really, television. You had to watch it. It was on network TV. Now you have basically your choice of whatever the heck you want to watch on television, or maybe you don't even own a TV and you're just going to do whatever you want on the computer. Maybe you want to watch the 2000 NLDS between the Mets and the Giants, like I was this morning. Big hit by Daryl Hamilton, followed by Jay Payton. Uh, so I think, I think you're exactly right that it will take some time to digest if, in fact, there's going to be movement. And I'd also point out that, you know, I, I'm not 100 percent sure about who leads and follows insofar as that bump you saw for the impeachment inquiry and the bump you saw for impeach remove in late September, early October. Uh, that was also occurred after Nancy Pelosi announced that she was going to have. Yeah, that. So it, I think there's it's both. But, oh, but I, interesting there point. is the core question of if this isn't impeachable, what is? And it also that unlike in past impeachments, which is a sign of the times, not the strength of the argument, that you're not going to get any bipartisan support that's evident. You may in the Senate. But it is stunning the extent to which that the official line from people like Lindsey Graham and from, you know, Devin Nunes' open statement is to basically just embrace denial, to ignore the substance of the allegations entirely and that's a very bad sign for a democracy. I would I, – I'm just on the broader point though. I am I, – I don't – I would lo- love to see data on it. But I don't think it exists because I have not seen yet in the post-2016 era that where the country is that people are receptive to new information. People are decided. People, the country is divided. That's how they vote in Congress. That's how districts are drawn. People are not receptive to new information coming in. So what you're saying is if this isn't impeachable, what is? I think there are a lot of people who say, 
I'm just lying not, about it, it sex. Speaks, no, it speaks to go. like what you're talking about, John, as well as yes. what you're talking about, Harry, because they don't have to take in new information if they don't want to. They right. can go to their prescribed cable news network that will tell them what they want. Uh, right. Or I, they're the people they follow on Twitter that will say what they want or lie, or lie about X or Y or Z. Here. I mean, the movement that you might see is, A, we know that more people right now support the inquiry than impeach remove. So maybe there'll be movement on the impeach remove towards the polling on the inquiry. Right. It's going to have to be big, I, I think, I, for any Republican to be like, yep, let's do this. I, I, but I think that you're right in the sense that this is a president who has consistently had 80 percent of his of self-identified Republicans supporting him, even when his approval rating fell into the 30s for much of 2017, the latter half of 2017, he still had most of the Republicans behind him. And it's difficult to conceive of a situation where that does not occur, continue to occur. That does it for us today, my friends. Thanks so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a rating or a comment. And if you prefer. You can always follow us on Twitter. You can comment to them. I will not read them. I'm just kidding. I'm at Kate Baldwin. At John Avlon. I'm going to let it, someday I'm going to let it like sit for minutes of you waiting for me to And then we're just going to take a wiffle ball bat. I agree. And my burner count is at Popeye's 22 fan. No, it's uh, at (laughs) love that though. At at Forecaster Enten E-N-T-E Special thanks to our team behind the scenes, Amy Eason, Lauren Moore, Raj Makija, and David Toledo. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Forecast Fest. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.